Hey, this is Aquia Jamfi, and you're listening to TBB Talks, the podcast where we from the British Blacklist bring you our conversations with creative black folk from the UK and across the globe. We'll be talking to up and comings, headline popping, and the legends from screen, stage, music, and literature. Basically, if they're creative, we'll be talking to them. And we hope to shed some insight into their lives, the work that they choose, who their inspirations are, how they stay motivated, and more importantly, how they keep sane being black in the arts and entertainment world. Do you get hay fever in LA? No. <laughs> Why is that? It's lovely pollution that we have here. Oh. Because I wonder that. When I go back home to Ghana, I don't get nothing, obviously. I don't get any hay fever in LA at all, man. It's nuts. That's crazy. I've come here, I've been red eyeing him. Oh, I'm sorry. London's treating you so bad. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The weather's so. been nice, and I can't complain, but I'm leaving next week, so that's all good. So is LA home now, for real, for real? LA is a part of home. London is my heart home. Mm. LA is my comfort and business home. I have great friends and great family, friends that have become family over there. But London's my heart home, and it still is in my heart. We last spoke, it's been about five years, because it was for the butler. I was reading our yeah. first interview. You've been an actor for 20 years, so that's like, add another five, you're quarter of a decade, you're kind of like an OG. Do you feel like an OG when you look at the new generation coming up under you? No, I feel very much a part of that generation, to be honest. I'm in the different facets of what, I want my career and the idea of me to be when it's all said and done in this growing thing. I just didn't realise I was so ahead of the time. I left when I was 23. Yeah, what year was that? 2009. People have come up ever since and really kind of contextualised for me that me being someone that had a prominent career here and then going to the States and doing that, it made everyone go, fuck, I can do that too. Man, I might as well get on with There were obviously Mm. people that had done, like maybe David Hayward, Adrian Lester, had done and Sophia Canedo. Yeah, exactly. So So you were the first. Idris, for me, is interesting because even though he's not of our generation, like, age-wise, for the actors that are coming up now, he's a bit like Jay-Z in the sense of pop culture-wise, very much a part of that generation, right? And so he became a symbol, but in a different way, because we first educated ourselves on him, the younger generation, on him as an American, you know what I mean? And they were like, oh, shit, he's British. Me, it was different. I was British, and all of my peers knew that, obviously, being kid on the bill and stuff like that. Mm. And then me jumping out there. But there was no new gumption when I did it. It was just the only plan from when I was like 11 years old. So I remember crying to my mum, going, man, how am I going to make it in bloody America when I speak like Shakespeare? I remember crying. <laughs> and even, um, you know, my friends Femi and Adam will tell you, when I was doing Kiddo, when I was 19, and I was talking about America. I was like, I'm going, I'm getting out of this. So opportunity comes. There was a bit of balls thinking, I'm British, I speak like this. Mm. And there were still the days when there was no grime artist takeover or anything in that level yeah. that it is now. So what gave you the balls to think you could take it over there? And- I've come from an immigrant family. My father's recently immigrant. He wasn't born in England. Mm. And so for me, that notion to get on and travel and see the world is definitely just something that was just natural to us. And for me, Will Smith and all those guys and people I saw coming up doing what I wanted to do, telling the stories I wanted to tell. There's no one in England. Until I got a bit older and I was like, oh, Ashley Waters and Storm Damage and mm. all those guys. But still, no one had gone to America. So mm. for me, it was always the plan. So since going there, you've always had the support of the UK. Even I spoke to Samson K.O. the other day and he said that you don't want to accept it, but he's like, you gave him his break. How do you feel when you when you hear things like that? You know, it's crazy. Like Being here this particular time and going to 
Victor's funeral and, and all of that. It's really contextualized stuff that I've kind of known, but because I don't live here, I don't really see it every day. And I enjoy not seeing it every day because it keeps me hungry. But it's hard to say this without sounding a bit funny, but there's a real sense of legend about kidulthood. There's a real sense of legend about me maneuvering from kidulthood and going to America with Harry's Law. And the people have watched my trajectory, watched my career choices. And every day when I'm walking on the street in London, if I'm up West End or whatever, at least, and I've been here for what, three weeks? At least about 10 people come up to me. A lot of men as well, which is always amazing because, you know, men, we have our own pride. So sometimes you don't want it. But yeah. a lot of men come up to me, black men, and they just say, bro, this is what it was. This is what it is. And I thank you very much. I see the choices you make. I see how you want to represent us. And I really respect it. It's amazing to hear that. And I got a lot of that at Victor's funeral, actually. I was a lot of surprise. Samson's a bit more of an obvious one because he's become a friend of mine. I'm yeah. mad proud of him, man. Definitely drink drugs and KFC gave him his break. I had a lot of weekend drama school at the time after the bill because I just kind of wanted to give back to the community and Samson was one of those people that came there and a few others you know free to till and uh, Delicia Wright came there for a minute wow. you know, and went over to Identity and so it's beautiful to see people's trajectory and see them do their version of their life man so I'm thankful for it I feel like Idris in the sense that with the British Blacklist I'm older than I think most of you lot but I still feel part of the come up because of the when we came out and it kind of caught the wave of this resurgence 100%. of British black talent so being in that I space I British Blacklist as like when I'm away this and a couple of other platforms is what I look at and go see like who the new faces are and who's doing what I love it you see with this generation thing I don't think it's an age I think it's where you attach your heart and where people see yeah. you so I'm an OG in sense I'm actually quite young you know in my career really I'm 32 as much as that is older than some this is where a man's career kind of begins yeah that's what I was going to ask because from watching you go it still seems a little bit of a stop and start slower than maybe I expected what has it been like being in America with this journey did you have to manage your expectations a career's tried over a period of time disappointments happen in one's career and in one's lives all the time so yeah you feel that in moments but generally speaking I feel like my career represents what I wanted to represent not in terms of the magnitude but in terms of the decisions there's been different things that I could have been a part of and I just either pulled myself out or not wanted to do mm. but managing expectations is something that has to always grow and I kind of never know where you one is if you do it a marble or something like that or even like a maze run at the time it's something that pops you out into the stratosphere and you do the masses can look at that and go okay they're there but body of work wise one doesn't necessarily represent the other so there are a couple of that in my generation that I look at their body of work I guess Michael B. Jordan is probably the best example of that and here is someone that is, a, is obviously a very prominent figure he's out there he was a journeyman actor I've, I've known Mike for like better half of a decade anyway mm. but his also his career decisions as well as his popularity match up in terms of what I want my okay. career to look like so you're saying you've been and more so, in control of the choices you've made so on the outside looking in it's not a question of it's been a struggle necessarily it's more like you're strategically picking and choosing the work that you want to do I would say in, in any career it's a bit of both isn't it not everyone does that some people will panic and be like I've got to take everything the old yeah, De- the yeah. Denzel method where he's like he turned down the pimp role then in the end he got own cast in glory and that's Oscar winning there's people that can be strategic and be very in control and there are people who are I say scared but it's not even not to put down anyone but people can be insecure about how what the future's going to hold and so they won't be strategic necessarily well, the truth of the matter in any acting career you know, and just isolated as an acting career it is out of your hands until it isn't fame and money which is definitely something that 
is extremely important to an acting career, allows you to have choice yeah. and allows you to be more of an artist. I've just decided at certain intervals to take that decision into my hands, regardless of whether I have fame or the money. You've got to live with your career art decisions. You mentioned the family that you come from, the background and structure culturally, would you not say, that kind of steadfastness and kind of focus and understanding of who you are and where you want to go? Yeah, my family, both mother and father, are really strong personalities in our world. And I already feel and felt that I have an audience. I mean, I've felt fame since I was 19 years old. I bought a property at 19 years old. So I felt fame and all that stuff very early. I always felt that I had an audience to speak to and an audience that I was somewhat be owing to and responsible for just by making sure my decisions reflect what I feel. I agree about what the audience that digs me would like. So I always felt that kind of connection to home and to my audience. I'm not going to maneuver left of something that is not within my, within my kind of core system mm. of what I think artistically I should be doing. That's fair enough, and that's fair enough. So Yardi, how did it come? How did you get Yardi? Where did that come from? Yardi came from a plane journey with me and Idris. Wow. Uh, literally, I was in London in 2015 and I was going back to Los Angeles. We was at Heathrow Airport and then yeah, we got on the lift together and he was like, yo, well, no. I was like, what's going on, Idris? And we started talking about, you know, life and how I am. Mm. And he said, I just watched you in The Maze Runner and you're wicked and I really would love you to be a part of this film that I'm doing. Should I send it to your agents or whatever? And we got on the plane and I was like, look, man, let me just read it now and give you an answer before we get off the plane. So I read it. In my head, I said yes already because I knew what Yardi was in it. And I thought to myself, what a wicked opportunity to work with Idris and then also to play something that to me is like a dynastic character. He goes from this point to that point to that yeah. point. One of my ambitions just as an actor is to remake a lot of my favorite movies. So one of my favorite movies is Goodfellas. Mm. So I wanted to remake a version of that. And so we were just on the plane talking about it. And then I read the script. I said yes. It was one of them serendipitous favorable moments in life two seats in front of us was who um al pacino al pacino shut up crazy as fuck man did you speak crazy to him as fuck. no we didn't speak to him but we're like yo al pacino's there it was like, and i think it's just like some of the movies that was about to do but it was crazy it was just one of those magical serendipitous wow well, i was thinking a lot of people's minds that every british black actor is out in america just chilling with each other you all know each other and there's like a london hub in america so did you know idris you know no i didn't know idris like that oh wow like still 2006 mm. when kidulted came out because that's when he finished the wire yeah so i met him then and i bumped into him one or two times before that but i didn't see him again for years crazy you know, always had him in the back of my mind as someone that i would want to work with acting in two scenes together you know what i mean but yeah I not that, like this him directing you direct me you know what i mean so what was that he's a wonderful director man so. that's what i was about to ask you what was it like being directed by Idris Elba. And you so- know what? It's, I didn't feel directed by Idris Elba. Okay. I got to know Idris quite a bit. When he was shooting the mountain between us, he invited me to Canada and I spent some weeks with him. I lived in his house, you know what I mean? And mm. we were just talking about everything and growing the characters together and saying what journey we'd go on. And we decided very early on the best approach to get into the world of D and to get into that access, that kind of culture and that time was to become very method about it. So I started to live in that skin and world. I went to live in Jamaica for two months directly after that. And we just spoke about stars of the the sound system, how that meant a lot to him in his era. Definitely making Yardi specifically the tagline growing up. That's a derogatory term. Yeah, I was going to ask you about and that. To, if you go to Jamaica, the general Jamaica doesn't know what Yardi is. They've never heard of it. You know, so it's a British term for Jamaican gangsters. And so what we wanted to do very early on is humanize that. You know, just in the way Goodfellas and Godfather, the Italian-American gangster genre, has humanized their experience. We wanted to humanize this guy from this book called D, who was a pretty ruthless character, 
I just present him as a multi-dimensional guy with the family and the love and the scar and the joy, but at the same time, this great sense of vengeance on his heart. He was a very collaborative person. Have you ever done that before with a different director, have gone and stayed with them to develop a character? This seems really, um, this is a well-thought-out mm. process that people don't necessarily apply to projects. And um, as I, I think I mentioned to you when, I, when we bumped into each other the other day, and I was like so disappointed by the reviews from mm. when it showed uh, uh, Toronto? In America. Yeah. yeah but they, they can't understand the language. And so, you know, that's American. But that's not American an excuse, you know? Well, you know, it wasn't subtitled. When we screened it again in America, it was subtitled. And they loved it, enjoyed it a lot more. Okay. And all that. But America, for all of its virtues and for all the blessings it gives us, they, you know, they're pretty insulated about their world. Sure. And the actual culture out there, yeah. they'll get it because New York, Toronto, Miami, all of these have big Caribbean influence. The actual people that watch it sometimes loved it, but the critics, you know, I think they couldn't access the nuances, and so that was what was problematic for them. On a tangent uh, from... Yeah, just answering your question about Idris and I, I knew it was a phenomenal opportunity. It was two years in the making for me, getting up to it and working with an accent coach. And once we started the whole process, the crew and the cast did not even meet me as a melt. And a lot of them know me from my earlier work, like the British crew and cast. But they met me as another person. They met me in another personality, kind of held them hostage to my process a little bit. And they were so given to let that happen. Chantal Jackson, who plays Yvonne, she really held my hand through that as well because we kind of had our own little world and she really held my hand in different language aspects and different attitude aspects and then projecting it out there. Her and Idra definitely helped me. It was an amazing experience. And by my inner voice, you know, like said, for example, you're like, okay, I'm listening to Mel. You're being silent right now, but your inner voice is speaking. Yeah. Right? And so my inner conscious dream, it became deep. It became a deep voice. It became deep way of thinking. And even friends of mine that I hung out with while in London, one of them said to me specifically, he goes, mate, it just felt very different, an alien presence, something, you know, I'm a bit more of a kind of charismatic, outgoing person yeah. around friends. Now, I definitely wasn't that smoking weed. I never really smoked weed in my life, really. And I took that up as a habit and cigarette. It was an amazing process to understand how the mind can really change. And I've been there a little bit in other parts before, like the Pride, Soy Nero, you know, a bit of the Maze Runner, but nothing like this process. Just thanks to a lot to Vigis because he allowed me to go there because sometimes people don't want you to go there. So first of all, you are Jamaican heritage, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad is from St. Vincent and my mum is Jamaican. So you had to work with a dialect coach? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the thing yeah, is, considering, sorry, considering you've been in LA for quite a while, you haven't picked up any of the isms. I know, I suppose maybe when you're there, you accidentally relax, but you stand. No, 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 I thought like this because I push my culture on them. I want them to know about Br- Latin okay. culture. Okay. I really do. I was there in 2009, 10, where Idris is the only black person a lot of people had heard of. Yeah. Now you have everybody that has made international careers of themselves and done wonderfully. But I've got American friends, I've got American family. I've always pushed my culture on them. I had American girlfriends, and I've just made sure they've known. Yeah, it's not all team crumpets. This is our world. I've been introducing like gigs before he became gigs. The you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Drake, the Drake cosign and all that. Yeah, all of those things. My brother's music, everything for a long time. And so I love London. I rep London so hard when I'm away. I love our city. I love our talent pool. Mm. I love how hungry we are. I love the clash of cultures. I think we're in a very, in a very unique space. And so. When I'm away, I hold that very dear to me. I say, bro, what are you doing? All of that. And all my best friends in America now, they're like, yo, bro, man. Like, oh, mate, <laughs> mate, man, mate. They know the culture because I've forced it for them. In that, with the dialect coach, what was it that you had to work on the most to get the the authenticity through, even though you have got the Jamaican heritage? I had the cadences and all of that already. Yeah. But I really based the character on my Uncle Kirk. My 
my Jamaican uncle, one of them back in the days, they used to call him Scarface. He's a very handsome man with a scar on his face. You know, it just used to say, Kirk it up, man, Kirk it up. <laughs> Kirk up the walk, man. I kind of showed him who Kirk had been. And even the Jamaican actors had a dialect coach for the time. People talk differently. So like everybody had dog, like, so we had to very American now. We had to dog. Back then it was getting specific, it was a little bit more slowed down. And the Jamaican accent is all in the mouth. And so that's why they look sex half the time, like, with the mold, the mold. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, you know, other Caribbean accents are, you know, a little bit more open. I hear that. You know, yeah, they're biting, you know, yeah. Staying in character. Now, for me listening to that, and again, I'm not from the world, it sounds nuts. So, and I've heard, of, obviously, we all know, we understand about method acting, people putting on weight, they do, I mean, developing, that's one showing your dedication to the craft and your passion for it, and streaming the consciousness and getting in touch and then becoming D personified. How do you... It was more than the accent, though. I know, more than the accent. It was him. You became him, a person, another human outside of a male, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's the furthest I've gone from myself, definitely. It's been an element of me. How did you bring yourself back? Was you like... know what, I'll tell you, afterwards, I was depressed for about two months, you know. Whoa. Real talk, I was really depressed, man. I, you know, I'm not someone who suffers from depression. In fact, when we rap in Jamaica, I remember that stream of consciousness saying, and sometimes your voice jumps out against you. Your voice said to me, so I, it doesn't even know. And I was like, what the fuck, man? What's that? And I remember feeling like, you know, Mel means rap, da 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 and then coming back talking in the accent my own accent around people and a lot of the people freaked out they're like whoa I don't even know this guy like like that and Idris I think he's done it before he's gone there before I don't know for what role I think it's Mandela but um, he knew that I'd feel away and so he threw me like a little party immediately that night and had people around me and all that because he just knew that for something I've been holding on to for two years not telling anybody about it either yeah. I know about it for two years I didn't tell no one you know what I mean because I just wanted it to happen so much yeah. I mean, I'd even post the picture of him and I until after I had wrapped it. <laughs> yeah, up. yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool, good. I'm going to share this with the world now. Yeah. You know, then we're there. Yeah. I felt depressed for a little bit. You know, when you're smoking a lot of weed and shit as well, it's one of them ones where I don't smoke weed. Mm. As soon as I went to, got like to California, I smoked Cali weed, and I was like, nah, bro. It's so not way. the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I ain't doing it, mate. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, that, I cut that out of my life, and then you know, I started drinking a little bit. You know, I was like, I was like, right, oh, this is stayed with me and I, I missed that version of myself I missed my life as that person wow. you know my life my life with Yvonne and the child I don't have children right so yeah. I'm married so like all of those little nuances there I missed that world even Chantel mentioned the same thing I think we saw each other again at some she, she said it's weird it's like I'm not even seeing the person that I was with on this journey this is crazy I felt very emotional about it she felt yeah. very emotional about it because it's the love that we created for the movie and the world we created realize it's false and so you trick yourself not that we fought anything too deep but for her it's like now she's meeting a man and for me it's like oh now i'm meeting you through my own lens which is very different because i mean i've had yeah. those conversations with other actors and creatives in general who when you're on a set especially if you're on a long like a long shoot and you do you become a family and then it's that close-knit thing even on me when i used to be a hairdresser that, those moments maybe two or three days doing a, a big video shoot you know you have your jokes you have everyone's friends then that day when it's all wrapped, like, okay, bye, back to your civilian mm. life. How they mm. manage that. So this, I, I mean, I'm, I'm. Yeah, well. this was an extended period of time. I was in Jamaica before we shot the movies, so I met, saw her, and I saw the people, and saw my brother Jerry, and you know, you know, and I'm not someone that's ever spoken about the process, but because this one was so unique, I thought I might as well share it. You know, I did a lot internally to mess my head up during this movie, okay, and so that I could be in a certain place. You know what I mean? All I have to say to any reader, any actor out there, your mind is very sensitive. Yeah. And so you can force your mind 
to do certain things. I remember doing something like this for Kid Adulthood, where I did that nice scene in Kid Adulthood, and playing like angry Eminem music, that Kim song where he's killing his wife. Mm. I remember doing that. I've done that process in little increments throughout my career journey, but this specifically, this was you nuts, went in. You know? And a lot of people helped, you know, Idris helped. Mark Reiner helped to get me down to a specific type of look. Uh, another lady called Diana Castle helped. My nutritionist. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that go into the movie. You know, JoJo as well. JoJo from Hair and Makeup. Those girls, JoJo and Sally from Hair and Makeup, were wonderful because you know Hair and Makeup is a very personal time and yes. they just created the world for me, man. Yeah. It was definitely the most standout moment in my career, and so far in terms of just process say maze runner comes after it alongside maze runner kid that share that moment as well and that's another thing for me i prefer movies to tv oh you and do so, yeah i do and so starring roles in movies are few and far between mm-hmm. you know for black actors as a creative as a writer as myself and, and as a director this is all stuff that i'm trying to maneuver even some of the guys that are in good position what they've been able afforded to do within their body of work is for where they are as black actors they should be doing much greater work. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And it's, if you look at it properly and analyze the game properly, everybody's kind of struggling to actually do, not work that the, the common crowd would celebrate. Like, oh my God, you're on this poster and all that. But if you're an artist, for real, for real, and you're really racing with like Daniel Day-Lewis and Denzel yeah. Washington and Robert De Niro, if you're racing with your whole career having work that is on, on that level, it's difficult because the business has changed. Yeah. Movies like those have kind of moved into the TV world. And a lot of guys that have gotten their break or whatever, you, like Bozeman and Michael B. Jordan, are the only two black guys in that age range that have multi-burst careers so far. A breadth of a career, like, as in, you appreciate the actor. Yeah, and the wide range no of characters they've played and yeah, all that. No one yeah, had the opportunity. Yeah. One of the things I hold dear about my work is that, you know, a lot of people may go Kiddowood and Yardy because I haven't done a British job. And then there's loads of people in America that just know me for my American work. But what I try and do with every, every bit of my work is really transform. I make that attempt to be a proper actor mm. and go back to the craft. And that's one of the things, if you hold up my body of work, I'm so far proud of. And also just people who can't necessarily spot that it's the same guy. You wouldn't know the guy from Yard is the guy from Sensei. You know what I mean? Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. You know, all of those little minutiae. So I think that that's what I'm proud of with my career. And all I want is the platform to do greater roles and greater work. But you know? It's good to hear you talk to, uh, to this level because the amount of actors and people that I speak to, everyone sounds serious about what they're doing, but there's a level of mm. really understanding the craft and respecting the craft and really knowing what their trage- trajectory should be what they want it to be mm-hmm. and what they're willing to go to it's a get rich quick thing these days becoming a millionaire in america from your work it's not that difficult if you get a bit of luck and you've got half talent sure you can go into a tv show make 50 grand an episode and blah, blah 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 and then you know you're a millionaire i've done some of that and i've had opportunities to do more of that and that's not of interest i'm definitely laying down the gauntlet for all of us male female actors to create art that live off our lifetime you know what I mean? yeah it and needs not just to because of the platform of it we can all do the big studio films that do that and of course i love those films and want to do more of them i compete with daniel day lewis i compete with denzel washington I'm not saying that i've gotten there or i even will get there but they're your goalposts reach for it yeah yeah true edge of is of another generation 
and his work is so brilliantly varied. Mm. Phenomenal actor. And Idris has done the same thing in great moments. He's a very multiverse person. It's those kind of things that are very interesting to me. In my 30s, I feel probably, not physically, but mentally about 45, 50. Anybody knows me, unless I'm, I'm dancing around or something like that, then I get back to being like 19. <laughs> Chantal, um, as Yvonne, her and Dee's chemistry was amazing. And because there is the colorism conversation that has been, that never ends, seeing Chantal on screen, seeing you on screen with her and in your tender moments, for me as a dark-skinned girl, woman, I should say, not girl, and my daughter, who's a dark-skinned young girl who will who is wanting for images that she can relate to, you guys had some beautifully tender moments, which I appreciated. I often find, especially from the UK, black guys who are in the um, creative world don't necessarily reflect how detrimental colorism has been and how important it is to represent different shades of girls on screen as the love interest not as the ratchet yeah, as trash and also and um, speaking to your um colleague your peer noel clark when he so i spoke to him for bulletproof and he's like you know me and ashley were adamant that ashley's character would have a dark-skinned wife then played by lasana lynch so then back to you yeah. and Chantal, and even yeah. idris in the casting is this ever a thing that is on your mind do, do you acknowledge it or and then what was it like working with Shanta? Because like I said, you guys had some beautiful moments and just natural yeah. moments. Even the cussing when she's vexed with you, it's just like... Yeah, yeah. It's so that sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, so she's sweet. She's in that moment, boy. Like, yeah, she's really, she's really familiar, boy. <laughs> yeah, she was she, on you, she man. She shit out of me, boy. Yeah, and I'm the way she was was just like, yeah, and I could see myself Yo, saying that. Chantal Jackson is absolutely beautiful. Her first movie, like, she's a really wonderful actress. She's so transformative. Her looks, yeah, they're so varied. She can look like anything, and so I think she's going to be a big fucking star. I really hope that for her, and also that, you know, she represents Jamaica and the culture yes. so well with such class. There's a globalness there, so I can't say enough good things about her. Um, what I'll say about the casting, yeah, Idris was very specific on that. He was like, look, mate, I did auditions with loads of different girls, chemistry reads with loads of different actresses. Yeah, he was very adamant on, one, the person being, uh, in the end, Jamaican. We saw a lot of great British actresses. And also just, you know, reflecting a love that is rarely reflected in black British cinema. I'm passionate about it. I come from a real black sisters, strong opinions, and I'm passionate about that. I've never made any bones about that. Sometimes it's difficult. Me putting together my movie in the States, a night worth living, it's been let into the door of what happens when you're in the, room. the casting process. Yeah. And I'm the director. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I've been let into the understanding of, you know, a lot of directors don't have the creative freedom that they want, not mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. They really have to fight for it. Unless you put up the money yourself, or you have the clout, you are at the mercy to a certain degree of producers. And so you've got to choose your battles and fight. Sometimes it is incredibly difficult. When I made my short film many moons ago, Drink Drugs and KFC, moving forward, it was always a certain type of black love celebrated in British and cinema mm. and that's not to negate that that happens but I think it's problematic when in all storytelling when you don't really reflect who we are in our fullness I feel like entertainment and cinema has now become a barometer and media has become a barometer for history yes. so if you rob us of those moments like Chidotho, Top Boy all of these amazing projects that are in that vein that is one small minutiae of our 365 days a year. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not my world. I didn't grow up in a kid out of the world. Christmas time is lit at my house. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're a party family. We love each other. Mm. You know, obviously there's the dramas. And so for me as a creative, 
you know, moving forward and with whatever power I'm afforded and I reach out to any other actors and creators I want to collaborate, let's kind of tell the full circumference of who we are as black British people. I think that's so important. You know, I agree. Because otherwise it's going to be robbed from us. We will not have existed. Like, for example, the whole Windrush thing that's going on. I think it's very important to establish that, not to play favorites or every generation needs to change and progress, but as we move into a new era and a new wave, of blackness in the UK, I'm passionate about definitely characterizing, you know, not just through a yardie, but through different stories, what it was like in 1949 when you were dealing with England in that time and how that world was able to shape the London that we enjoy right now, this multicultural London. And that was a lot to do with the London of Caribbean people, mainly Jamaicans and Trinidadians back in those moments. So I think it's really important to tell those stories. I'm going to lend myself to those stories or if they happen without me to support them and be very supportive about it it's not since Menelik Shabazz's Burning Illusion or Horace Ove's Pressure and then they I think BBC tried to do they not tried to they adapted Small Island but that was through again a very white lens and then you had Gorilla that kind of everyone had high hopes for but it it just gave us something that we weren't really prepared for so we've been lacking British black culture on on screen historical culture because the culture now I reckon the culture now we're not having it. We're going to take care of it. No, I think so. What so. it's been for the last 20 years. I heard of a So Solid movie. Wonderful. I heard someone wanted to do something about the 2000s when they were growing up. Wonderful. We're going to take care of the culture now. But the 70s and the 40s, to me, or the late 40s, are really... Really needed. Time. Before, yeah. just to put our stamp on that shit and yeah. then go, all right, let's move on. Yeah. You know, but we need it in a beautiful way. I have the stories. And this leads back to why I left England as well. You know, why I've not worked here as much. One... If I'm to be 100% honest, there's honestly nothing that's come to my personal table that I've seen that is, it just literally threw me back to England. The idea was worth it. I've not seen much that has beaten the opportunities in America. That's problematic. I was going to ask you that because looking at your peers like with Femi and the Intent, Noel with his trilogy and now with Bulletproof, is there anything to tempt you back? And you're, now you're saying it's, ju- it's just been Yardi so far. Bulletproof is Noel and Ashley's baby. Yeah. That's wonderful. And that's great. Femi with the intent, that's his world as well. You know, everyone's just trying to do what they do. Mm. I, I love it. But I'm saying that as a type of actor, I personally class myself as or desire to be. No, there's been nothing, nothing. that's drawn me back to the UK. Nothing. And it's been eight years. Any job opportunity that I almost took was bettered by an American opportunity. So there was something when the butler happened and I did chose the butler instead. There was something when Maze Runner happened and I chose Maze Runner instead. Yeah. And the last three years have changed. We have international stars now. Mm. And so make stuff for us, people. Like, please. Like, yeah. your, your young talent wants to be catered to, man. And not to speak of black women either. Like, they need to be at the forefront of stories from where we're from because a lot of the celebrations have been coming from the black men. But there's phenomenal black actresses, you know, that I love. An actress I've always loved called Petra Latang. Yes, you know, yes. All of these people are like, yeah. they're thrown to the fucking wayside. And yeah. It kind of pisses me off. Like, yeah. It really pisses me off. In fact, I have the work and I know other people that they have content and they're content creators and we have it. It's just, I took Drink Drugs and KFC that was meant to be a British film and I made it a night living in America. It's the same film. I just put American actors on it and wrote with my American writer. That's what Britain does to us. London is a phenomenal city in England and we've got its good parts, but as an industry, it's bad, man. And it's not gone better. Look at all the actors that you love and that are doing well. Daniel Kaluuya's done wonderfully and all these different actors, yeah? None of them would be where they are if it wasn't for America. Absolutely. Not one of us. Absolutely. Not one of us. 
And someone like Noel Clark, had he gone to America, he'd be a global phenomenon because he's a talented guy that gets things done. Mm. You know, someone like Femi Oyanirin, the same thing. Yeah. And Femi doesn't even have the backing of the business. He just does it grassroots. Yeah. So England needs to like really fix up or lose all the talent. I'm really a British-American actor now. That's how I class myself. Yes, I'm black British. I am a British man, Caribbean man, la, la, la. But as an actor, I'm treated like an American. And I classed myself as a British-American actor. The phrase was first coined by uh, David Yellow, and I was like, you know what, that sounds all right, mate. That makes yeah. sense. For us over here fighting a good fight, trying to work it all out and make sense of it all, this is the, it's a never-ending um, bone of contention. And the industry, I mean, we're talking about crewing from behind the camera as well and people in power. The, the UK, I don't know if they're going to wake up. They're, they're talking about waking up and changing things. We shall see. So, by the way, in regards to you being American, Af uh, a British-American actor, do you feel the tension that Samuel Jackson alluded to? Or is it was it just an off-the-cuff moment? Is there any contention between African-Americans and British black actors now? Because it does seem, it is to me, it's very much like, you know, the working-class whites over here who think, oh, the immigrants are taking our jobs. They're not really, but there is a little bit of... Well, oh. I would say this. There's a bigger idea at hand. Are you talking about just actors or black actors? or what's, what's... Specifically from Samuel L. Jackson's comments oh, right, right. in so regards to Daniel. I don't really hate Samuel Jackson any mind with that. Yeah, have you ever felt any tension that are... Uh... the mood? Yeah. I mean, listen, anything that becomes epidemic becomes scary for people, right? Sure. And so I have a lot of American friends that they know that British people are sexy to a foreign audience. Yeah. You know, if I walk in and I'm like, hello, darling, how are you? It's sexy yeah. to people. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, as much British black men and women that are on top, there are equal amounts of black American people that are on top. Yeah. I will say this, though. To categorize it properly, and I said this to one of my American friends who I love dearly, I said, listen, mate, you guys have come over here sure. to England, and we have loved you. Exactly. We've embraced you as our own for many moons, and you've sold your Jay-Zs, your Michael Jacksons, your 50 Cents to us. Mm. And we've bought, we, with our British pounds, we've made you rich. Yeah. Sold your Will Smiths, your Denzel Washingtons, your Don Cheaters, your Samuel True. Jackson, and with our British pounds, we have made you rich. True. Let's get some of that money, man. It's true. That's that's the perfect let's get, let's response. Get some of that money, baby. I think that's a perfect response. You know, we're a global family. You know? They owe us. We we put them ahead of our own talent <laughs> for many years. Listen, okay, so then no. you did mention a night worth living. Is it a mean dream still alive, or is it a whole new thing? A mean dream is me. That's never gonna not be alive. You know? Okay, so that's you your know, production zero, company zero, still, zero, yeah. Zero. Yeah, okay. That's always going to be alive. QC Entertainment are one of the financial backers. Okay. And they did the Get Out film. It's a process. It's all sorts of interesting stuff, you know, before we go into production. So I've just become very celebratory and very, I commend a lot of people that get it done. Okay. Because getting it done through the actual system, which is what this essentially is, you know, I'm not putting up a million dollars myself. Sure. Getting it done through the actual system, it has its challenges. So I applaud all of everybody that's done it, man. Trust me, it's a greater challenge than most people would think. So what's happening with it? You're going to see it. It's going to get done. Fair enough. And what was the final thing? You mentioned when we spoke last time that you were a brilliant tap dancer when you were a child and that you were potentially going to make a tap dancing film. Would you still want to do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, a yeah, British yeah. tap dancing film would be amazing. For me, I feel like you can't do anything on our own. Right? Yeah, for so sure. For me, I'd say that most of my talents have not been seen and what, what I'm capable of has not been seen. So with a bit of luck, a bit of timing and everything, I can get that out to the world and, and share, you know. But definitely, I grew up 
in the era of stage school. So I went to stage school. Mm. You know, this is this is a different era now. You don't need to go to this to do well. Yeah. You know, but I went to stage school six years old. OG it is, I guess, in that respect. You are an OG, man. You are. OG it is. I can release you to the world Thank now. You so much, man. That Thank was a great you, interview. sweetie. No Thank problem. You. I'm going to rewrite everything and change what you said. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I got lawyers now. We've got Jewish lawyers for you. It's all right. I've got, I got African lawyers. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, they, they have strong <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. We'll come for you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you so much for your time. Um, this, will, welcome, this worked out better. All right, my love. I'll let you go. On the road, man. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm.